Good morning. How's everyone? All right, I need, I need a caveat first off. Um, I, I'm preaching the 9 and the 1030. The 1030 uses the NIV. The 9 uses the ESV. So I, I have to throw that out to you to say if you pull the, the Bibles out of the, the chairs in front of you, it may be a little different. Apologize for that. Uh, but let, let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Kevin Cuthbertson. I'm one of the family's pastors here. And I, I want to draw your attention. After you get to Colossians chapter 3, I want to draw your attention to the screen. Because you, you may have seen this around the church recently. We started doing this at the beginning of this year. Uh, this slogan, belong to Jesus, belong together. Uh, it's, it's funny. I just noticed this, and I'm glad I noticed it. I'm from Mississippi. And I was going to say, it's just four words. It's not. It's just five words. Just five words. Belong to Jesus. Belong together. And I want you to know why it says that. I want you to know that though it's five words, that's what we're praying for. That if you were to talk to the pastors, what they're wanting, what they're pursuing, what they're desiring, that's it. That's what we're praying for. And the reason we're pursuing that and praying for that is because we believe that that's what God wants for us. Not only that his people will belong to him by faith, but that they will belong together in love. We see this in the book of Colossians. We're going to see this shortly. What Paul does in the letter to Colossians is he's writing to this church and he says to them, to the holy and faithful brothers in Colossae, He starts the letter saying, guys, we always thank God for you. We always thank God for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ and your love for all the saints. He says, you've been like this since the gospel came to you. And what he's saying is that when you, Colossi, heard the gospel, you were transformed by it. You were changed by it. Now, you need to know this. Paul's never met them. Paul's never been to this church, but he knows them by reputation. And he says their reputation is this, that when you heard the gospel, you were transformed so much that you exude and overflow with love for the people of God. And Paul says, that's why we pray for you regularly. That's why we give thanks for you, because your faith was evidenced and is evidenced by your love of the saints. I thank God for you because your faith is proven. How is it proven? By your love of the people of God. He says it's noticeable. It's visible. It's tangible. It's shown. It's your reputation. And Jesus, uh, he's saying the same thing that Jesus said. How, and you can answer this question, how will they know that you are his disciples? By your Love of one another. Paul's saying that same thing to Colossae. And I think it's something we need to be challenged by regularly, that we need to be confronted with and question ourselves on regularly. Do you know how your faith will be visible to those around you? You want to know how people will know that you are Jesus' disciples? By how you love one another. Jesus' desire for his people is not simply that they belong to him, it's that they belong together. It's not simply that we would love him, but that we would love one another. And he says, this is how the gospel is shown to be true to the world. 
So let's read together Colossians chapter 3, and we're just going to start at verse 12. Colossians 3, starting at verse 12, and this is what Paul writes to them. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And we we come to you in prayer because where else are we going to go? God, you alone have the word of life. And that's what we need this morning. We need to see you rightly through your word. We need to trust you as you call us to. We need to believe that for every Christian, your promises are true and blood-bought and that we can bank on them this morning. We can believe them this morning. We can trust in them this morning because you, God, are faithful to what you have said. My prayer, God, is that this morning um, in this service and the next service, that God, if there are any here this morning who don't know you, who don't even buy into this Christianity thing, Father, I thank you that they are here, and I, show, I, I pray that you would show them the incredible kindness that you have shown us. I pray that they would know that they are loved and that you would lead them to faith in Jesus for salvation. God, there's no other name on earth given among men by which we must be saved. So, Father, may he be exalted this morning, not only in our words, but in our minds in our hearts and our affections. God, restore to your people joy in salvation this morning. You alone can do that, and we're asking that you would. In Jesus' name, amen. So I I was speaking to a pastor buddy of mine. This was probably maybe three years ago now. And he he preaches at a a younger congregation, you could say. And he said this to me. He said, I I notice when I preach imperatives, when I preach commands of Scripture to my church, because I can tell that they don't like it. I can tell that they don't like God calling them to do stuff or to not do stuff or to change the way that they live. They don't like it and they kind of buck against it and I can see that they back up from me, sometimes even accusing me of being legalistic. I want to just I want to just say this from the front. This list right here in Colossians 3 is ultimately a list of do's and don'ts. Ultimately, it's a list of live this way, don't live this way. But I want to make something clear from the very beginning. Paul does in this letter to the Colossians exactly what he does in all his letters. He always starts his letters by telling them who they are in Christ, by reminding them of what the gospel has done, what faith in Jesus has done in them, for them, and through them. And because of who they've been made in Christ, they are to live this way. 
because of what God has done, they are to do this and to not do this. Why I'm telling you this is we, we need to remember that the indicative truths of who they are always precedes the commands of what they are to do and not do. So let's look at that. Paul writes to this church, to these holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Colossae, and he reminds them of who they are. This is taking place in chapters one and two. And I just want to read a few verses for you. I I believe they're going to be up on the screen so you can see this. In chapter one, verse 13, he writes this, for God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In verse 21 of chapter one, he says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Chapter two comes along and he tells them that they have been, they have been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith and the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead. He tells them, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave your sins. And chapter three comes and he says something similar, starting it out. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Do you see what I mean when I say who they are precedes what they are to do? Friends, we, we need to recognize this. Whether you're here this morning as a Christian, you believe the gospel, you believe God's word, or whether you're here this morning and you don't, You may just be looking into this Christianity thing. Somebody may just have invited you and you didn't want to offend them by saying no. We're glad you're here. It's great that you're here. If you have questions, come find me afterwards or talk to whoever brought you. I'm sure they can answer some of them. But you need to know this and you need to hear this. The primary message of Christianity is not do this and do this. Don't do this and you will be saved. That's not the message of Christianity. And it's also not, hey, look around this room. We are good. We are moral. We've got it all together and we're better than you. It's not that at all. It's the opposite. The Christian message is this. We were sinners without hope and without God in the world. We were separated from him by our rebellion against him that we want to be God, we want to be king, we want to rule our lives and the rest of his world. We were separated from him under his wrath because of that rebellion. But God in his great mercy and love of us did not leave us there. He sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to live the life we were created to live. And then Jesus took our sin And it's punishment upon himself. He died on the cross and was raised up three days later. And the message comes to you and to me, people who don't have it all together, people who aren't better than others, people who aren't moral or good, and says, if you will trust in Jesus, he will forgive your sins. He will forgive your rebellion and he will credit you with his righteous life. 
And it's only through faith in Jesus that we can be made right with God, that we can have our sins forgiven, that we can be adopted as sons and daughters. That's the only way. So if you're here and you may hear us saying, hey, look, here's the message. Do this, do this, do this, don't do that. No, that's not the message. The message is trust in Jesus who did it for you. It's the only way. Don't try something else. And on another note, there is no one here who is so bad that he will not accept you. And there is no one here who is so good that you don't need him. Trust in Jesus this morning and be saved. That's that's the basis. And once you do that and Jesus, God makes you a new creation, gives you a new heart, then we can talk about what life looks like. So friends, trust in Jesus this morning. From beginning to end, don't forget him. He is the means by which you are made right with God the Father. Okay, if anybody wants to talk about that, come find me after if you have questions. Okay, that's the truth that brings us to verse 12. All of that was kind of introduction, wasn't it? That's what brings us to the therefore. That's what the therefore of verse 12 is, is there for. Clarity on the gospel precedes indicatives. It precedes the commands, but it also empowers them. You ever tried to be good and just find out you really kind of stink at it? Clarity on the gospel empowers you to obey. So friends, do you know who you are this morning? Look at what Paul says in verse 12. Right in this church, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Listen, if you are in Christ this morning, this is you. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are his. You are holy and you are dearly loved. Somebody the Wednesday night quoted Zephaniah 317. Do you know that verse? I love that verse. As God rejoices over you with singing. He rejoices over his sons and daughters with singing. Can you even picture that? What is that like? What an amazing voice that must be. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians. He says this, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Think about that. To be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. In other words, if you caught that, before the foundation of the world. What that means is this. His love of you, Christian, is not based on your performance. It's not based on your goodness. It's not based on your abilities. It's not based on what you do or do not do. He has loved you since before the foundation of the world. That means that on your very worst days, and you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that, he loves you. And on your very best days, he loves you. Your performance, your behavior, can neither improve his love or lessen it because his love for you is perfect. We, my, my family and I, a lot of you, I don't know a lot of you. I'm just kind of looking around through the, the glare of the lights and I don't know a lot of you. All of you have very white faces at this point. So um, we adopted two kids from Ethiopia. 
And I will never forget. I'll never forget. In fact, my wife tells me, you tell this story a lot. And the reason I tell this story a lot is because I need to remember it. When we adopted our oldest son, he came home and he didn't speak. I say a word of English. That's an exaggeration because he spoke, he said chocolate and he said Spider-Man. So, I mean, you can, you can have a rational conversation with him from the very beginning because those are both awesome things to talk about. But I remember he was home for a month, month and a half. We had tried to learn his language. It did not work. So, but he knew English to a degree within like two months. It was insane, six weeks. I remember we're standing in the kitchen one day, and he's been helping me work. We're washing dishes, and, and he looks at me. He's five years old, very tiny at this point. He looks up at me and says, Dad, look, I've washed the dishes. Do you love me now? And the reason I tell that story is because he was trying to pursue something he already had. What he did not know is if he would have come home months or if he would have been at our house months before he came home, he could have looked around the room and seen pictures of himself. Before he'd ever met us, before we'd ever met him, our house was full of photos of him. Why? Because he was ours. He was going to be a Cuthbertson. He was coming home to be in our family. So every time the orphanage would take Shutterfly photos and upload it to their account, we'd go to the computer, we'd download them. We'd, I think at that time you took them to Walgreens. Is that right? You'd go to Walgreens, you'd get them printed out. We'd put them on a frame on the wall. He didn't know this. He didn't know that we would walk by those pictures and we would see our son that we'd never met before. But though we'd never met him we loved him. And though he'd never seen us, he was our son. And so to hear him say, look what I've done. I've washed the dishes. Do you love me now? What he didn't know was that he was working for what he already had. He was trying to earn what he already possessed. And it's true of us so often. Guys, we do the same thing, and you need to know this morning that if you are in Christ, if you are a believer in him, you are his. You are holy. You are dearly loved. Don't strive for what his mercy has already given you. Don't take the do's and don'ts of Scripture and think it's up to you to do those things so that God will love you. You aren't that strong. God's love for you is already set. And in this new identity given you in Christ, this new family, this adoption of sons and daughters because you're trusting in his son, God says you are to live in a certain way. There's no such thing. I hope I don't step on toes here or crush toes. There's no such thing as a good father who doesn't have expectations for his kid. If you have no expectations at all for how your children are to behave, you're just kind of not a good dad. God has expectations for how his children are to live. And when he calls you to Christ, one of those major primary expectations is that when he calls you to life in Christ, he calls you to life together as brothers and sisters. Notice something here. Paul's giving these expectations for how Christians are to live And each call is not in the singular, it's in the plural. And what I mean by by it is this. Paul was like a southern Israelite. What he's not saying is you put on and you put off. He's saying, y'all, put on. Y'all, 
put off. Y'all, clothe yourself. Every command in this section isn't an individual Christian. It's a communal command that we are to come together as brothers and sisters and fight together for these qualities, to fight together to be clothed with compassion and with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. These are the marks of the children of God. And he goes on to say, bear with each other, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, to forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in y'all's hearts. It sounds really so terrible when you add y'all, doesn't it? Not near as poetic. I think King King James was missing out on this. Let the peace of Christ rule in y'all's hearts, since as members of one body, y'all were called to peace. Notice that every single thing he calls us to is relational. It's how we deal with one another, how we live together in the body. And he sums it up in verse 17 when he says this. Whatever you do, whether it's in word, in what you say, or indeed what you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now think about this. When the Bible talks about names, you may notice this, and we, we're not a culture that does this. When the Bible talks about names, it says, and they were named this, which means this. And you see that characteristic, that attribute, that, 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 uh, that quality about them played out in all their lives, right? That names in the Bible were a, a, a means of a description of the character of the attributes of the person. Listen to what Paul's saying here. Everything you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. What he's saying here is you don't go around and say, water in the name of Jesus. I mean, get that toilet paper off your shoe in the name of Jesus. Whatever it may be. That's a terrible example. Okay? I just saw somebody earlier and I, did, I meant to say something, but, you know. Okay. What he's saying is this. Everything you do, Whatever you say, speak with the character of God. Speak with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness. Everything you do, do it in the character of God. Do it with compassion and kindness and humility, thinking rightly of yourself, thinking rightly of him. And I'm just going to throw this in. It's not in my notes. Everything you type, everything you do on social media, Somebody knows exactly why I'm saying this. (laughs) Everything you type, do it in the character of God. If it's not done with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness, can I throw out a law and say, don't, don't do it. Everything you do, whether it's what you say, what you do, what you type, do it in the name and the character of God. And above all these things, notice what he says. Put on love. Why? Because our God is love. If you're going to do it in the name of the Lord, if you're going to speak in the name of the Lord, it must be done with love because that is the character. That is the name of our God. This is all relational. It's all corporate. He's laying out for us what we are to be as Christians, empowered by the Spirit, trusting in the gospel. And yet right here, he's not only laying out what we're to do, we're laying, he's laying out how we are to get there. Paul isn't simply saying, you put off 
you fight against, you clothe yourself. He's saying, hey, y'all, join arms together and fight for holiness. Together, put off the earthly nature and put on God's character in all things. Here's the deal, and we need to know this, and you don't, we don't often hear this. God doesn't intend for you to simply be changed by the gospel. Follow with me. He intends for you to be changed by the gospel in gospel community. It's not just you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus' people striving together for him. Anything else is unbiblical. Anything else is dangerous. You see, when God chose you, he set his love on you. And when he chose you to be in his family, he chose you to be in a specific family. If you're here, if you're a member at Apostles, let me just say this. You're not just here because you like the preaching. You're not just here because the music is kind of up your alley. You are here because before the foundation of the world, God in his love said, not only will you be in my family, you will be in this family. That if you look around you, In God's sovereignty, these are the brothers and sisters with whom he has chosen to bless and by whom he has chosen to sanctify you to make you more like Christ. Um, How's it going to happen? How does this happen? Because we can talk words and we can look through this, but I want you to look at this. Look at verse 16. Paul's saying, this is what you are to be, and this is how it's supposed to happen. This is God's plan for you to be made compassionate and kind and humble. Verse 16 says this, when you gather, when you do this right here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and you admonish one another with all wisdom. Friends, we we talk about being a gospel-centered church. And what we mean by that and what we don't mean is we don't mean that it's simply the gospel coming from this pulpit or it's simply the gospel coming from the classrooms. What we want and what we desire and what we believe the Bible is calling us to is to be a church where brothers and sisters are admonishing one another with the gospel truth. They're letting the word of Christ dwell in each of them individually so that it can dwell in us corporately together, right? We don't want just this. We want it everywhere. We want brothers and sisters who live in light of the gospel and who extend grace, who remind one another of love and spur one another on towards holiness that our lives together by the grace of God are modeling the character of God. Paul says, this should be what dwells among you. And I think to that video we just watched of Tom and Lisa Robinson, strength through weakness. Friends, we too often treat our Christian community like our Facebook community. And this is what I mean. We put together a compilation of our strengths and a compilation of our good stuff, of what's going well in our lives, what we're accomplishing and what we're doing well. And we put forth all of our good and all of our successes and we present what is essentially an airbrushed model of ourselves. That person doesn't even exist. The Christian community calls you to something else altogether, something completely different. 
It calls you to remember and rehearse the gospel, to let that gospel dwell in you, to remember that as you come together as brothers and sisters, you can be honest, not only about your successes, but about your failures, not only about your victories, but about your defeats. You can confess your struggles and your fears because it's through your weakness that God's power is going to be shown perfect. And it's through our daily recognizing our need that God shows his provision. If our community, if our, if our church here is built on the gospel of grace, then none of us should be surprised when one of our brothers and sisters is in desperate need of it. You know how you can tell when a church has become a community where the gospel dwells, where it's central? When its members are unafraid to confess their sins. When they're unafraid to confess their struggles and their doubts to one another. When they believe wholly that they're standing before God and before one another has nothing to do with their behavior or their righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. When we come to that place, then we will know that we believe the gospel because we're saying, look, I can lay out before you my failures. I can lay out before you my sin struggles wisely. I can lay out before my brothers, hey, this is where I'm falling. This is where I'm struggling. I need your prayer. And I can do that because I know that the gospel is true and that God accepts me because of Jesus and that there is no charge thrown against me that will stick because he has taken care of it. And I know that my brothers will say, okay, we're going to pray for you. We're going to uphold you because we believe the gospel is true and the spirit of God is at work in you. So we're going to come alongside you. If we come to the place where the Facebook community is the church community, then we will never be long together. Let's aim for something more. But Paul says something else here. He also says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Not only as you teach and admonish one another, but as you do that in your singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitudes in your heart. Guys, I don't have to tell you this. This is uh, one of those Captain Obvious commercials right here. Life is hard, isn't it? Life is hard. And we walk by faith and not by sight. We're pressed in on every side. But praise be to God, we are not alone and Paul actually says that our singing is a means by which we teach and remind and encourage one another with truth. I'm going to tell a story that I hope I can get through. A few years ago, like I said, we were adopting. And what, what most people don't know is that we have two sons now. We were adopting another kid and would have never gotten these two kids here. So we were adopting a little boy that we named Max. And um, he was from Ethiopia as well. And he was sick. We knew he was sick. We knew that in Ethiopia, what he had was a death sentence, but here he'd be fine. We knew that if we could just get him home, he'd be fine. And so same, same deal, pictures of him all around our house. He was going to be a cuff person. We were praying and our church was praying that he would come home and that he would uh, thrive here. And so we're, uh, and this is why I said, this has been 10 years, I can still barely talk about it. And so we are, uh, we're praying for him. We're praying that God would sustain him and God would bring him home. And uh, finally, the court date gets set, which means he's no longer just Max. He's Max Cuthbertson. He's ours. He's our son. And two days later, I believe, so Sunday morning, we get a call from a mom who's over there. She says, hey, things aren't good. 
he was rushed to the hospital. He was having seizures. He was, uh, I don't know, 20 months old, maybe. And they said, you need to be praying. So we were praying, and our church was praying. And we got a call a few hours later, right before we were heading off to church, and she just says, I'm sorry. That was it. And I, I, I take comfort in one fact that, that when he died, he wasn't an orphan. You know, he wasn't fatherless. He wasn't motherless. He was wanted. He was desired. He was prayed for. My wife and I look forward to meeting him one day. But that's not even the point of this story. For some reason, we went to church that morning. I I don't know how we got there. I don't know if we said, we've got to go. We're scared to be alone. I don't know why we went, but we went. And I remember we we go to our pastor's office, and I'm sitting there, hand, head and hands, weeping. I'm telling him the story, and he doesn't say a word. So I kind of raise up to see if he's left. See, he's still there, and he's just got tears just streaming down his face, and it was exactly what I needed. I didn't need words. I needed that. We leave that, and we go into the sanctuary, and we're, we're trying to sing, and we're trying to listen, and we're trying to pay attention, but I'm just going to be honest with you. Our souls were crushed. We were crushed. I don't know what I was believing that day, but I don't think I was. I don't think I was trusting in God. I was frustrated. I was crushed. I was hurting. My heart was broken. And so we're standing there. And at the end, right before the sermon, they stand to sing and we're standing up and we're singing uh, In Christ Alone, which is one of my favorite songs. And it starts and my knees just buckle and I fall to the pew and I'm just weeping. And a brother of mine, a friend of mine, he and his wife, they're pews behind us and they scoot up. And I'm standing, sitting there again, head in hands, and he just puts his hand on me and he starts singing in Christ alone. My hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm. And something about that hit me like a ton of bricks. It was as if God said to me, hey, this is what the church is for. This is what the family is about. That when my faith was shaking, when my heart was broken and my soul was crushed, when I could not fight the fight of faith, my brother was fighting it for me. And I will never forget that. I have thanked him for that and brought that up to him so many times that his singing that day was reminding me of who God was and that at that moment, I could trust him still. Friends, your singing here, your presence here, your humility here, your giftings, as as Dr. Youssef spoke about last week, is a means by which God is upholding your brothers and sisters. Because I, I want to be honest with you. I'm going to be really honest with you. I can't do this without you. I can't. But I was never meant to. We were never meant to fight the fight of faith alone. And neither were you. In God's great love, he has not set us out on our own. He hasn't even given us simple acquaintances or just friends. He's given us brothers and sisters. He's given us family. And I am so thankful for you. 
I've learned so much for you. I've been convicted by you, challenged by you, and spurred on by you. And it's that gospel-centered community right there by which God is building in me compassion and kindness and humility as you come along and regularly remind me and rehearse the gospel before me. So thank you for that. Now, I don't, I don't know how you're coming in today. You may be a snotty mess like suddenly I am. Disgusting. You may be crushed. Your heart may be hurting and broken. You may have trouble believing, and it's all you, it's, it took all you had to get dressed and come in acting like you've got it all together. But let me say this to you. If that's where you are, I'm so glad you're here and you're right where you need to be. And our hope for you this morning is that you find eternal and enjoyable and everlasting life together here with us in Christ. But whomever you are, recognize the gift that God has given you in Christian brothers and sisters. Recognize the gift of family and recognize the way that he's actually gifted you. The background you have, the history you have, recognize the ways that God has gifted you and molded you to dig into this body, to serve this body and to grow together with them. I don't know what that looks like for you. It's not my job to tell you what it looks like for you, but let me encourage you to to pursue this. That if God has called you to life in Christ, he's called you to life together with his people. So pray about it. Pray about what that looks like for you. Talk to your spouse, talk to your kids, talk to your friends. Then listen and dig in and God will do a mighty work to bring joy in you and through you here. Now may God glorify himself through the preaching through the praying, through the presence, and through our singing this morning for his glory and for the good of his sons and daughters. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you, God, that you, God, that you have given us all good things, that no good thing have you withheld from us. And I I want to take this time to say thank you for this church family. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. I don't know many of them, but Father, even their being here is an encouragement to me and to others. Father, work in us, we pray, that the gospel may dwell in our hearts. Work in this congregation that the gospel may dwell together in this family. And Father, may we live in such a way that your character is shown and your gospel is upheld, not only here among us, but in the world around us. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.